0: Thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back.
1: Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore and uh, today is, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's weird to the three of us in the room right now, but to you, it's completely normal because you haven't heard this episode, but we actually lived it. It just kind of died on my hard drive. So, uh, for those that don't follow, uh, Kankakee podcast on social media because I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but my uh, my external hard drive that I save all my podcast stuff on um, it uh, decided to die about I guess that was about a month ago almost already, so I lost this episode that we're recording right now, so we're re-recording it. Um, but I'm very grateful that you guys were willing to do that so um, let's uh, let's get to it let's welcome uh, Veronica Featherston who is the uh, executive director of the Kankakee County Museum and then also uh, Jack Clacy, who uh, works at the museum but also uh, you're a author historian yourself you write uh, weekly in the daily journal um, it is a, is a pleasure to have you both here so this this is our monthly episode where we team up with the Kankakee County Museum. And we put out something historical uh, for people to, to listen to and check out. And we're going to be talking about the uh, ever famous Bradley House today. Um, but before we do that, Veronica, what are the upcoming events for the Kankakee County Museum?
0: Yeah, we actually started a new yoga class at the French Heritage Museum, and that's on the second and fourth Sundays of the month, and that starts at seven a.m. So it's a sunrise yoga.
1: Oh, cool! Is that outside then? It's actually
0: upstairs in, um, like, the barn. Oh,
1: is that the (laughs) area you you just kind of cleared out?
0: Um, Or is that a different part? Um, There's not a whole lot. There might be tables and chairs set up for events, um, but. It's pretty wide space that um, we'll be using for yoga. So um, we've got that going on. That's exciting. And then on September 25th, that is also that's a Saturday that's coming up this weekend. Um, We have the French, Canadian and Belgian immigration lecture that our genealogist Norma Meyer will be um, putting on her and actually our volunteer Andrew. Uh, Whose name last name I can't think of at the moment, but um, they mm. work together and come up with all of the research, and we'll tell you about that.
1: So. Okay, that that's something you don't want to miss as well, especially yeah. with all the uh, French Canadian heritage we have here in Kankakee County, the the uh, corridor, if you yes. will, right, mm-hmm. the French Canadian corridor. Um, so yeah, and and you go to kankakeecountymuseum.com if you want to view those events. Yes, um, and there's also Instagram. And Facebook as well. So uh, get in touch with the museum. Please show them some support. Um, You are open on Saturdays now, too, for people that want to go on the weekends. Yeah. So there's no excuse not to go (laughs) check out the museum and all the amazing uh, exhibits that are there. You'll be blown away if you've never been there before. So... Um, thank you, Veronica, thank and you. Uh, Jack. It's great, to, great to have you back. I, I was, uh, I was, was, kind of excited to see you again after you know we we did this once already and we're doing
2: it again, you know, an encore, if you will. So, yeah. well, thank you for having me back. Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, I certainly enjoyed the first time around, and I suspect I'm going to enjoy the second time <laughs> around as well. Yeah, luckily it's fairly familiar material, and as I said when we came in, I happened to. For some reason, uh, keep my notes from the last one, so that helps me with my little cheat sheet on dates and things, because I tend to sometimes uh, lose track of what date I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very very thankful for that. By the way, that you <laughs> that you kept those notes. So, um, I was actually recently at a party, um, a, a Labor Day party, just across the street from the Bradley house. So I was like, oh. It's like this is fitting. We're going to be, you know, re-recording this episode again, and there's and it was a beautiful day, just looking at it along the river there. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. The uh, the the famous Bradley House in Kankakee on Harrison Avenue. Where does it begin, Jack? Where does the birth of the Bradley House begin?
2: Uh, Actually, the birth of the Bradley House probably could be said to uh, have begun in 1895 when. a man named Warren Hickok Sr., who was a very prominent businessman in town. He uh, was a banker. He was a uh, real estate man. He ran a title company and so forth. So he was not only very prominent, but also quite wealthy, obviously.
1: is Do you know if uh, his title company is still around? Because I know there's some very old title companies in town.
2: I believe it is the ancestor of one of the title companies, but I can't recall which one which at one? the moment. Okay. Um uh, Hickox had two children, uh, his daughter, Anna, and a uh, son, Warren Jr. Well, when Warren Sr. died, and this was a really a tragic situation, his wife died on uh, April 3rd of 1895, and he died two days later leaving the two children, who at that time, uh, Anna was a young woman. She was, I think, in her 20s, and uh, her uh, brother was, actually, she was closer to had maybe 29 or so, because her brother was quite a few years younger, and he was still kind of high school age, I believe.
1: How old were they when they passed away? Was it just, like, uh, heart
2: issues? or They were both in their, I believe, 60s, okay. uh, and... Anna sort of always thought that her father just died of a broken heart, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is possible. That is that is a thing. But it's That's so right. rare, though, to, to you know, in the the grand scheme of things. But yeah,
2: the the factor here, though, that uh, as far as uh, as Warren was concerned, uh, excuse me, Warren Senior was one of the choice properties that he owned was just down the street from his house. His house was on the southwest corner of Harrison Avenue and River Street. It was quite an elaborate house. He was a very important, wealthy man. Is it still there? No. It's, it's no gone. longer there. Okay. It's, been, it's been replaced by more modern dwellings. But uh, he owned a piece of property down at the river end of, of Harrison, which was very nice. It somewhat more I think, close to two acres, but I'm not sure the precise amount. And obviously, that was willed to his two children since his wife had not survived. Um, they thought, and this was uh, about 1900, so five years after he died, by that time, both of them were married, both of the children. And they began eyeing this property and thinking, you know, this would be a good place for both our families to to build houses. So they thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I just ran across while doing some research in some 1900 newspapers, a very short notice that ran in the Kanky Daily Gazette on July 2, 1900. And it's, it was headed Two elegant residences. The plans for the residences for Warren Hickox and B.H. Bradley are in the hands of the contractors for bids. The houses will be erected on Harrison Avenue and will cost in the neighborhood of $10,000 each. All modern improvements and conveniences will be adopted, and when completed, the structures will probably be the finest in the city. (laughs) $10,000 in 1900. Even more significant, they don't mention the name of the architect.
1: Yeah, I was going
2: to say, I'm kind of, I wonder, do you think that was done on purpose? No, I think it was done through lack of information. Frank Wright was not very well known at that time. He was still a young, struggling architect. He was working for Adler and Sullivan in Chicago and moonlighting uh, designing houses. In fact, he eventually, at some point, uh, he got fired by uh, by his uh, by by Sullivan uh, for doing outside contracting work, which was not in his contract. Yeah, was was Sullivan?
1: The uh, this is completely off topic, but this just came into my head. Was Sullivan the architect that designed the World's Fair no, in the late
2: was, 1800s? No, that was Burnham. Okay, that was Burnham. although Louis Sullivan did actually, uh, Edward Sullivan designed the transportation building at the 1893 World's Fair. Okay, which was one of the few that didn't follow the classical theme of all of the others. Think of Museum of Science and Industry, that was mm-hmm. the kind of in fact, that was one of the original 1893 buildings. But that style of columns and uh, you know, porticos and all that sort of thing—very was the dictated style, except for people like Adler and Sullivan who decided to break <laughs> tradition and had a beautiful building. Yeah. But Wright was at the time was living in Oak Park and commuting into the city and was at the be- somewhat at the beginning of his career. He was beginning to become well-known in Chicago, but I think no one in Kentucky had ever heard of him. Somehow, Anna Bradley had learned about Wright and what he was doing, and she was intrigued. And she and her brother went up to Oak Park and talked to him, looked at some of his drawings, I believe, and said, come down to Kentucky and take a look at the property you have got and give us some ideas. So somewhere in the early 19, early part of 1900 uh, Wright came down on the IC and got off and was taken over to the property and looked and said, yeah, I think this would make a nice site for a couple of houses. Originally, the house for Warren Jr. was going to be on the river bank, and Anna's and, and B. Harley Bradley's house was going to be on the northern part of the property. But as he was designing the houses, uh, right, for some reason, designed a larger house, uh, probably from a money standpoint, <laughs> for Bradley, because Bradley, B. Harley Bradley was an executive with the Bradley Plow Works, which was probably the largest employer in Kankakee at that time. Uh, so anyway, he suggested that really the house for the Bradley should be on the larger chunk of property on on the riverfront. And uh, the Hickox house would be the remainder of the property just north there. And that's the way it turned out, of course. Uh, Anna Hickox was, a, I think, a very strong-willed person. Uh, she was definitely the one who negotiated uh, with Wright and with various people to build the house. Whether B Harley was just too busy with work, or maybe she ran the show, <laughs> but uh, the houses were underway, and by uh, about spring of 1901, uh, the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the Hickox house was pretty well done in in the spring, and the, the Bradley house was almost finished. Uh, while Wright was doing this, he would come down, and when he, since the Hickok's house was further along, if he needed to stay overnight, he would camped out in the and in the, in the basement of the Hickok's house. Uh, he also was I understand a, a very particular type. If things didn't go the way he wanted them, he was unhappy. Uh, there's an, probably apocryphal story that he carried a little hatchet around with him, and. If he didn't like some of the woodwork that he saw done, he'd chop it up. <laughs> wow. Uh,
1: Just walk in there and uh, say, yes. hey, chop. He would
2: chop it out and say, <laughs> okay, start over. <laughs> but according to this apocryphal story, I think it was Charles Childs, I believe his first name, but was the <clears throat> contractor for this. Uh, and supposedly he told Mr. Wright, if you use that hatchet again, I'm going to take it away and use it on you. <laughs> <laughs> No, as I say, as story is apocryphal. I have no source for that other than rumor. Yeah, ap- chase them right into the river. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, the house that he designed, that Wright designed, especially for, for the Bradleys, was revolutionary. It was not anything like what was being built at that time anywhere in the country other than in the Chicago suburbs where Wright was doing a few things. However, this house was is considered by many architects to be the first of his prairie style, or as, as one put it, the, the house that changed the face of American architecture. Because if you think of what most of the houses, if you drive around the Riverview area and look at some of the houses that date back to about 1900 or so, you notice that they're pretty well four-square sort of things. They have wide porches, steep roofs. They're two stories high and have not an awful lot of large window area. They might have turrets. And if you looked inside, the rooms would be small and and kind of cramped feeling. Uh, Wright went just the opposite way on that. His idea was that the house on the prairie should sort of grow out of the prairie. Uh, As he said at one point, a building should appear to grow easily from its site, shaped to harmonize with its surroundings. And if you stand back on Harrison Street across the street from the Bradley House and take a look at it, you'll see what he's talking about. It seems to grow out of the land. It's low. It's has wide uh, low sloped roof with wide eaves for shading the windows. There are bands of windows all across the house, so there's plenty of light flowing in. And it's just a, a totally revolutionary kind of house. Inside there, there's a great deal of openness to the rooms. If you walk in, you will come into this relatively small entry area. I mean, turn left and walk into what is the, the what would be called today the great room, but the living room in this case. It's wide open. It's filled with light. There's a, a beautiful fireplace, and the rooms flow from one to another. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so it was a revolutionary kind of of house. The Bradleys lived there for, oh, I'm thinking here about um, 11 years. But in 1912, uh, a man called A.E. Cook, who was a entrepreneur, developer, uh, he developed the area— what is now Brookmont Boulevard. In fact, not far from where we're sitting right now.
1: Yeah, uh, we're not far from that at all. <laughs> uh,
2: that whole area he developed uh, as a residential area. Brookmont, by the way, was the name of the farm he grew up on in Iowa. <laughs> so, okay, right. And yeah. uh, He also owned a uh, an automobile manufacturing company and so forth. But anyway, he decided he would like, he was always trading property or buying property. So he traded with... The Bradleys a uh, a good sized farm in Iowa, for the house, and the uh, they then moved out to the farm. This was in nineteen twelve. Excuse me. No, you're fine. you're fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. All the
2: all the talking <laughs> will do that to you. Uh, the trade, unfortunately, for the Bradleys did not work out well. They didn't did not really live a farmer's life and didn't like it very much. B Harley Bradley still trapped still did some business. the The Bradley factory by that time had pretty much been sold to the Sears Roebuck and Company, and so the Bradleys had only kind of a, a very small, very share. small role <clears throat> in operating place. Mm-hmm. But Bradley traveled on his business. He was an unhappy man. Uh, he also, I believe, had some, a lot of health problems in his childhood. But in Oh, about I don't have the date here on here, but he committed suicide in a hotel room in Chicago. Uh, Anna came back to Kankakee since she had no real reason to stay. They had one daughter, Margaret. So she and Margaret came back to Kankakee, where at least they had family. And she actually opened a tea room at the corner of uh, Indiana in Court Street. It's now a, a parking lot, but it was... Uh, a very popular tea room, and that was, I believe, her primary uh, business and, and income. Ran it there for many years.
1: Yeah, I mean, did was she able to sell the farm that they were on in Iowa and make some kind of I suspect money she did. The, I don't have any yeah. records
2: on that, but yeah. uh, just that she had come back to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a right mural on the wall of the building right where the tea uh, tea room used to be. And she lived there until her... She really—I um, well, don't recall what year she died, but she, in later years, she lived with Warren and his family.
1: In the in that
2: uh, smaller Wright house? No, they by that time had sold that. They and sold they that too. They were living too. in uh, somewhere in in the Riverview area. OK. Uh, and so that they sort of then faded out of the picture as far as the Bradley house is concerned.
1: Yeah. It's uh, funny. You think about it like they they went to all that fuss, <laughs> you know, to bi- <laughs> to build these magnificent, you know, houses. And then it's just like, uh eh.
2: You know, time to move on. A,
1: yeah, time to move on. I don't know. I just, it's a, in my mind, like, I can't imagine doing that. Like, I would just want to keep that as long as possible. And, you know, I mean, I, I understand uh, Anna's situation, but, like, her brother Warren, I, I guess we don't really, I don't know about his situation, maybe. Yeah.
2: He was a, he, a successful businessman. But, was he? Like, to... uh, I don't know whether maybe he, you know, wanted a smaller house or a larger yeah. house or a a different address who knows mm-hmm. uh the next occupant although a e. cook only kept the house for a relatively short time never lived there uh by 1915 he sold it to a man named joseph dodson who was actually at that time lived in evanston and he was a uh, a stockbroker but his real his avocation was his real passion birds uh he built and sold birdhouses, but he also he was a you know premier bird watcher and a great bird lover. Well, he bought the house, renamed it Bird Lodge, and proceeded to change the grounds radically. A lot of lot of plantings in there. They were pretty open before, kind of like we see it now. Before then, but uh, he planted a lot of bushes and a lot of things that would attract birds. He had probably a hundred birdhouses around various places and so forth, and he also ran a business building birdhouses and selling them by mail.
1: Did he build those birdhouses in the the old uh, carriage house?
2: Yes, in the stable. In uh, the stable. Uh, what was the stable yeah. at that time, yeah. and uh, later also even added uh, somewhat more to it because he needed more room. But uh, the birdhouses and a number of other bird-related products were he sold. Uh, on as By mail, he actually issued a catalog of all the different things that he had. And he also uh, hated English sparrows. <laughs> and actually, English sparrows were uh, apparently an invasive species that was hated, hated not just by Dodson, but they actually, in a day when governments paid bounties for various kinds of things, you know, uh, for trappers and that sort of thing. Yeah, There was a, a bounty for English sparrows. I don't know, one cent or something per sparrow. You, you had to uh, take a bag of the, the heads of the sparrows that oh my God. to the county clerk's office or whatever, and they'd pay you one cent apiece or whatever it was.
1: <laughs> the look on Veronica's face yeah. right now is yeah. <laughs> is priceless. I
2: wish this you was could a, see it. A far different time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so they didn't. Were they able
2: to shoot them and then put them in a? I think so. Bag or they or trapped they, them in traps. Uh, he sold a. I was going to say to Dodson. He sold a Dodson bird trap. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah. So he had a good reason to uh, promote the idea of trapping them. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, he was an unusual man, uh, oh. but he was a uh, he was a very long term resident of the house. He had the house from 1915 until uh, basically 1949. Oh, that's a pretty when long died. time. Uh, he and his wife, I don't believe they had any children. They lived there in this huge house. Um, oh, d- jumping back just a little bit, when the Bradleys lived in the house, uh, they actually, the, the two of them and their daughter, but also Harley's parents lived there with them. So, oh, okay. So the house was was that. well popular. There's plenty of room for five people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> plenty of room. But anyway, after, uh, after Dodson died, the... House stood vacant for a while. Uh, there was a local real estate and businessman named Ed Bergeron. Uh, Bergeron name, of course, is well known in Kankakee. Yes. But uh, I'm told that he thought briefly of living there, but his wife took one look at it and said, "This is too much house. No." <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, I don't want to clean this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he put it on the market. Hadn't gotten too much interest initially, but he was he was on a vacation trip up to the state of Michigan up along the lakeshore one time and happened to drop into a restaurant there and was talking to the two guys that owned the restaurant uh, who were both uh, Army veterans. They had been cooks in the Army. And uh, he was talking about this. They said, you know, that would be a great place for a restaurant. Uh, the two men were— uh, Marvin Hammock and Ray Schimmel. And uh, so they negotiated, came up with the right price, took over the place and uh, renamed it Yesteryear uh, and specialized really in a... Uh, that was in 1953 when they opened Yesteryear. They specialized in sort of home-style food, but the elegant surroundings and so forth really attracted people for many years. They were a regular stop on bus tours out of Chicago, Uh, people would be, you know, especially little old ladies and so forth that would roll up the bus and come down there for lunch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also many others, of course. I recall eating there when we first came to town, and it was was quite good. Uh, uh, There were a few things I didn't think were great about it, but (laughs) uh, the food was generally good, and the surroundings obviously were wonderful. The living room was the main dining room. And, uh, and then there
1: were <coughs> others off to the the side as well, right? Mm-hmm. It, it would be it would have been interesting to kind of see how they had it laid out at that time.
2: There was a, a closed port or a porch at the south end of the, the house that they enclosed, and that became a bar, the bar. But they had also other rooms, and the eventually late in the. Uh, the years that they owned it they also actually opened another bar on, on the second floor of the stable which would no obviously no longer was being used to build birdhouses <laughs> but um well they could have a few drinks and give it a try and see I, how that would work so. out yeah that would work out <laughs> but the uh, restaurant was quite successful uh, they advertised in chicago and midwest they drew from quite a large area and uh, by 1984, though, uh, both the owners were in ill health and they were ready to retire. So they sold it to a man named Richard Murray, who was a, a local person who had an, an out of town uh, partner who had quite a bit of cash, who actually sort of financed the deal, as I understand. And uh, Murray operated the restaurant again as yesteryear for a relatively short period of time. In fact, uh, in March 1985, uh, during the middle of the lunch period, when people were filled all the tables, the lights went out. Commonwealth Edison had shut them down for non-payment of their bills, which had gone on for quite some time. Uh, the other uh, creditors also were very unhappy with them, so that ended up the building was done. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, It became an empty building, obviously, for a while. There was uh, an auction of some of the content, some of the furniture and so forth. Uh,
1: Some of the original furniture was still there. So the original
2: furniture, furniture was still there, as well as other things that had been added during the restaurant period. So those went well. And I don't remember the exact figures, but one of the pieces of furniture that was... Sold, was a desk that Wright had. Let me see, I might be able to find that real quick if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, he had Wright designed had, it. had designed a, a yeah a desk, a library table desk that was quite a- attractive mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Looking at just something here. Oh yeah, the things that their desk sold for twenty thousand dollars, which was pretty wow. substantial. Yeah. Two years later, however, um, and I've forgotten the name of the person, a very well-known Hollywood entertainer bought it at auction for $176,000.
1: Oh, yeah. We talked about that in yes. the original recording. Barbara Streisand, right? It was Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Thank you. I, yes.
2: couldn't, I did, couldn't recall. Yes. Yeah. It's Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. 200 for, I don't know whether uh, she still has it or whether it's been passed on. That
1: would be there. interesting to find out. Yes, it would. <laughs> yeah. Barbara Streisand has a connection with Kankakee.
2: <laughs> and also, during the period when the when the uh, yesteryear was operating, the owners also... Sold stained glass windows or leaded glass windows and other and some of the furniture and so forth at auction we got pretty good prices for them. So there were a lot of things missing. Uh, one of them was a set of panels that were lighted from behind that were in the ceiling of the dining room and they were just beautiful, multicolored leaded glass. Uh, and those were sold in. Within the last two or three years, those have been recreated uh, The right in Kankakee, which now owns the building. Uh, a wealthy and interested donor provided the, the money for a local uh, art class craftsman to recreate those. And so they are really a beautiful addition.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful that they're able to recreate those. Since I can't get the uh,
2: the original back, that's right. And I think that there's an ongoing project to gradually replace the, many of these things that had had been after they were sold. They were replaced by just plain glass, and so there's an ongoing project to try to restore as much as possible sure. uh, of things that are gone. Yeah. Speaking of restoration.
1: So, yeah. So, you know, after Murray had it for a very short time with Yesteryear, uh, the restaurant business was out. They auctioned off a lot of the items there. That's right. That desk. Then how long did it sit vacant?
2: About a year. It was all boarded up uh, to protect the glass and that sort of thing and to avoid vandals. Right. Because at that time, uh, crime was pretty high. It was. In Kankakee. Right. So, in a year after it was shut down, a local businessman named Steve Small, whose family owned the uh, the journal and the radio stations and so forth, bought the house with the intention of restoring it to the original condition, the original Frank Lloyd Wright. Because there had been a a number of changes, of course, a, a commercial kitchen had been built. Out back, uh, because the original kitchen, of course, wasn't up to restaurant standards. No. And there were other structures on it that had changed a lot. So uh, Steve bought the house and began remodeling it. And at that time, I was on the uh, city's preservation commission, and I recall him coming to the commission and talking about his plans for the the house. And, and he was going to do this upright. It was going to be done to... Standards of the Department of Interior, which are very strict, uh, and it was pretty well along when, unfortunately, in September of 1987, when the building was in pretty good shape by that time, he was kidnapped and buried alive in south of out south of Aroma Park by the kidnapper with the intention that uh, you know he would get his his ransom and then free him. Well, unfortunately, the way that the uh box that he was buried in was designed. Very just, poorly. Yeah, it was very poorly, and he actually asphyxiated. But the uh, perpetrator was eventually caught, and he and a woman associate of his were spending a great deal of time in prison.
1: And it, it's sad to, <clears throat> to think, too, is, is the, the, the Bradley House is how the kidnapper lured him Out of his house.
2: That's right, because uh, the man who who kidnapped him had been one of the. It was a minor contractor doing some work on the house, and arranged to to call Steve in the middle of the the night and say, "Oh, we got a problem with the house. You got to come over here and take a look at it right away." And that was the last anybody ever saw of him. Yeah. Um,
1: So once Steve uh, Stephen Small was was kidnapped and and he was murdered. mm What happened then?
2: Okay, in 1990, um, did it? <clears throat> it the house pretty well? Sat for again. several years because the uh, did the, it stay uh,
1: in the small family that time? Or I, be, I believe it did. Yes. Okay.
2: Uh, I, I know that uh, you know his wife and children were still in town and so forth. So mm-hmm. it and besi- and besides, it would have been a great deal of legal maneuvering and so forth involved because of his death. Right. But. Uh, in nineteen, let's see here, yeah, nineteen ninety, uh, a group of local businessmen purchased the house. Uh, it's called Glenn Lloyd Associates. Uh, it was a uh, Ron Moline, who was a local architect, and three attorneys, Lee Thacker. Uh, Oops, I have trouble reading my own notes. (laughs) Don't you love it? Michael Ditchweiler and Robert LeBeau bought the house and they completed, they invested a considerable amount of money to complete the renovations that Steve had started. Uh, They did some changing in the interior were to accommodate offices. Uh, in you know what had been bedrooms and so forth, upstairs. so they were
1: they were thinking of of kind of flipping the house and making it into offices
2: for themselves, yes, or? for themselves. Okay, uh, so they they were renovating it and changing it to serve as a basically an extremely elegant office building, uh, which
1: <laughs> serves well if you're an attorney. I That's mean, right. can you imagine having your office? Yeah, my office is in the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright house. That's
2: right, and I suspect it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they did not, however, they, they did all of the re- renovations of the house, but had pretty much written off the stable area. Uh, and it was in bad shape. Actually, by 1990, I'm sorry, 2001, they petitioned the city for a permit to tear down the stable. Uh, which, as they said, they figured it would cost a million dollars to bring it back up to code and so forth. And that became a controversy, obviously. Uh, there were a lot of people who were very unhappy with the idea, and not only here, but all over the country, with the idea of tearing down a, a Frank Lloyd Wright structure, even if it was an ancillary structure. Yeah, uh, But <clears throat> it went on, and eventually the it was sort of semi-settled that the idea of it was— at least enough work was done on it to stabilize it, and that's where it sat for a while, until 1985. I'm sorry, 2005. Uh, an architect in Gaines Hall and his his wife Sharon. Uh, he was a Chicago architect uh, and later a, a professor of, of architecture at U of I. Uh, bought the the property. Uh, with the basic idea initially of rebuilding to the original condition, the stable itself, to save it from falling apart. And they proceeded to do so. They found the right kind of contractors to come in and and do the kind of quality rebuilding necessary for a a building of this sort. And so that uh, that was the first step. There were some other things. They also then wanted to undo some of the changes that were done by Glenn Lloyd Associates to suit the place for office buildings and restore it to the original condition of the the, uh, the original B. Harley Bradley house. Unfortunately, they had a setback or two. Uh, they There's were living in the house setback. at the time. They had sold an earlier house. They had a house in the Kankakee area, had sold that, and I think probably partly to finance the, res- the work, and they had moved into the house. Uh, in January 2006, they were out to dinner with some friends. They got a telephone call saying the house is on fire. Oh. <laughs> and Man. it started in the attic. Um, I believe the cause might have been electrical from something I'd read, but it caused damage to the roof and to some areas, the attic and, and the second floor. And so it, it unfortunately drove Gaines and Sharon out of the house. They had to go out and rent something for a while. Uh, for fourteen months, in fact, well, that was repaired, and other things were being done to the house. That's a long time. It is a long time to be living in a motel. No, actually, I think they rented yeah. the house. Somewhere.
1: By that time, I would think they would be, mm-hmm. you know, considering uh, fourteen months over a over a year
2: there. That's right, but uh, they finally had the place in in really good shape by twenty ten, and. Put it up for sale thinking okay we'd like to recover our uh, investment in this we've we've done what we said we would do which is save the stable and keep the place in good shape and, and they're very devoted to it i mean these are people who didn't skimp on things they did it right
1: yeah and i mean they must have invested well over a million or a couple million yes, into that place
2: well over a million dollars certainly uh, i've never have seen a specific figure but a local group, uh, mostly people living in the Riverview neighborhood, but other some others around, formed an organization called Wright and Kankakee, and its stated purpose was to acquire the house, and to open it as a tourist attraction and uh, you know a place for a study of people interested in Frank Lloyd Wright and so forth. Uh, fair amount of negotiation, but they signed a contract with Gaines and Sharon Hall for a $1.7 billion purchase price to be paid over 10 years with no interest. And so they had a, they had a big uh, burden upon them to come up with this. Yeah. Uh, but it worked. Uh, right in Kentucky has been very, very successful. They did just, in fact, this this, I believe, early this year, paid the paid the mortgage off. Right, the they 1. would have had, had to. Yeah. Uh, and so ever since really 19, uh, 2010, they've been operating the house doing uh, tours. Uh, a lot of the group tours, but also individual tours. Uh, I believe currently tours are on Thursdays and Sundays. But they also, if uh, you wanted a, a tour, they would probably arrange it for you. Or if you, especially if you had a busload of people coming in, they'd be happy to arrange. Oh them for. yeah, and, yeah, they definitely. And they do would. they do off schedule tours all the time. Yes, they have some really wonderful volunteer uh, tour guides there. People who have um, a real passion for the house and and know its history in and out better than I do. In fact, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, and the. Uh, Yeah, the purchase was completed in 2021. So that's the, if, in fact, if someone is interested in touring the house or learning more about it, uh, the Wright and Kankakee uh, website is uh, HTTPS, et cetera. uh, Wright1900, the number is 1900.org. And that will lead you to lists of how to arrange a tour and so forth. The house at 701 South Harrison Avenue very easy to find if you uh, turn onto Harrison Avenue off River Street. You can't go any further. You'd wander the <laughs> river if you didn't stop. Yeah, yeah, you can't miss it. <laughs> and they have also since the Wright and Kinkeys also since acquired by by gift from a a donor. The house across the street, perhaps where you were at your party. That—that's
1: actually exactly where <laughs> yeah. I was at. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. That's that,
2: a gorgeous house. That's a very nice house. That was—that uh, was built in the 1930s, I believe, uh, by Joseph Campbell, who was a, a local artist and sign painter of quite renown through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. His father was a sort of semi-architect, and he was the man who designed that house. What was on the property earlier uh, was a, a large two-story semi-mansion. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the it was a a, a a local politician and Civil War person. I believe it was H. E. Clark, and the uh, Campbell, Mister Campbell designed the house. And the house that the Clark Mansion that was there was cut in half, and moved up the street. Huh. There are the two buildings south of what used to be the uh, B'nai Israel Temple. The two buildings there are the the two halves of the of the old Clark Mansion. And they still those are still there today. Those are still there, and and in fact, I think that uh, the Campbells lived there for a number of years. Later, Joe lived in a odd little studio in the back of a building on Court Street. Uh, between uh, Dearborn and Schuyler and had his, his studio and his workspace and uh, his sign painting business there.
1: It just blows my mind. It just, yeah, let's just take the, the house, cut it in half and move it, you know, down the street. No big deal. Surprisingly,
2: that is not uncommon. Uh, it's... at certain periods, uh, there's a, a couple of half houses over on uh, Water Street uh, west of Washington. Okay. Uh, the same kind of situation. Just a a bit like a
1: mansion or almost a mansion. Or very large
2: houses. Very large. And they
1: just cut them in half and they move them. I I know moving houses was quite a a big thing back in the day, but taking a big house and cutting it in half, like that's that's the first I've heard of that. But
2: I suppose, you know. It's a picture that I ran across in our files at the museum from, I think it was probably the 1950s, of a house being moved down Schuyler Avenue past the Majestic Building and so forth, they're just north of Schuyler. Uh-huh. You look up the street and here's this giant house in the middle of the, <laughs> the middle of the street with uh, <clears throat> with a trailer the, the, or tractor the, or whatever is pulling yeah, it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, did you find out what house it was
2: or where it was going no, no, or? Unfortunately, there was no information about it other than the house was being moved and yeah. somewhere we acquired the pictures with no information to go with them oh, man. other than what we could see in the picture. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> The schoolhouse on the at Governor Small Park uh, was moved from Limestone Township, yes, as a uh, bicentennial celebration, and uh, was moved by uh, over uh, over the bridge and uh, Warner Bridge, and down the back roads and so forth to the uh, to the museum campus and was put on a new foundation and a lot of volunteer help put it in shape and so forth. So that's one of the nice attractions we have in our museum campus. Mm-hmm, definitely. And uh, the small house as well. Yes, another... which, of course, has been there since the 1840, 1850s, early 1850s period, when it started out as a two room house and is growing through the years as his family grew, Dr. Small.
1: Yeah, and at, at that time, I, I mean, there wouldn't have been much surrounding that house. It was probably on a farm, right? That was way out in the country. Yeah, <laughs> yes. at that point.
2: Yeah, and at that time, the only way across the river was the wagon bridge under the railroad bridge on uh, in Gankakee. There was only the one crossing. Uh, when the IC was built, they built this interesting structure. It was a, a wooden, very complicated Wooden truss structure with the railroad running across the top of it, and the underside was the wagon bridge, which of course the uh, the IC being a profit making business was a toll bridge. Oh, really? So you paid one toll if you're if you were a pedestrian, and a higher toll if you were on a horse or had a horse and buggy, and you know, man. And so for a long time, up until 1863, that was the only bridge across the river in Kankakee. Well, they must have made bank off that. They must have done pretty well. <laughs> I know that people on the south side of the river were very unhappy about having to pay that toll to get back and forth. Uh, in 1863, the IC decided they were going to build a new bridge there and it was going to be just a railroad bridge. And so at that time, the city fathers said, well, <laughs> how are we going to get across the river? Yeah. So they decided it was time to build a bridge, so they built the Washington Avenue Bridge, and uh, which looked a lot different from the one that's there right now. Uh, it was a arched uh, steel or iron bridge with, I think, five different spans across. It was about 600 feet across. And the railroad bridge was also an iron span, but it was uh, sort of trapezoidal trusses, very different. The reason I know that is I just finished writing a, a column which is going to run this Saturday on oh, Washington okay. Avenue Bridge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. I'd Point out again that uh, every is it's every weekend,
2: right? Every the like the Saturday
1: edition. It's always in the Saturday. Yeah, always on the right. Saturday. In fact, by
2: the time people are hearing this, it will have run it, it, several
1: days. Before it, right, it, right, exactly. But um, that's always something I look forward to seeing every weekend. Is uh, is your column? It's, well, thank It's you. always so
2: great to discover something new. So. We hear a lot from people saying that, you know, that's something that they enjoy because what I get a big kick out of is somebody telling me, oh, I just read the column on blank. And wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. To, say, to be able to tell something people something they didn't know about their hometown and to sort of generate a, an interest in what our past was and how how we came to be what we are. And sometimes just for entertainment purposes, but also educational.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some like you know, I, the the toll the toll <clears> thing. <throat> you know, I I find that to be kind of funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, know, I, the, the, they're charging a the toll to get across the bridge. And most yeah. people living here today, unless they're you know over over forty or over fifty even, would not couldn't conceive of the idea of a town with only one bridge across. Uh, The second bridge that was built was in 1893, and that was Station Street. But the two that most people are familiar with, the Court Street Bridge and the Scholar Avenue Bridge, those were not built until the 1950s. Yeah, yeah, much newer than than those, yeah. And Washington Avenue has been rebuilt three times already. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, actually, it was rebuilt once in 1904 uh, as a concrete bridge, and then since then it was rebuilt— uh, two more times.
1: Okay. Wow. That's a lot, but you got to keep those up or otherwise right. we know what happens. That's yeah. Right. It's what, it that's what all the debate
2: is over in, in Congress. right Yeah.
1: Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's the Bradley house in a nutshell. I mean, that's something we could go on forever about too. So, uh, thank you so much for talking to us about the, uh, you know, the Frank Lloyd Wright houses, actually. That's right. Uh, there's two
2: of them. Um hickok's house yes is still privately owned but i i believe in fact i'm quite sure that Wright and Kank would love to purchase that whenever it becomes available yeah
1: they're going to yeah. jump at that chance when they get it and i wouldn't blame them I so, would
2: either. Yeah. yeah exactly Because it's been in private hands all its life and has always been a private residence there's been some exterior changes that would have to be Taken care of, and I'm not sure about the interior. So. I would
1: imagine, and hopefully, <laughs> it wouldn't be as uh, difficult
2: as the first house <laughs> right. to, get, it's a, <laughs> to yeah. restore it. It's a somewhat smaller house, and so not quite as elaborate either. Yeah, right. right.
1: Yeah, like you when when you if you've never been over there, when you go and see it, you can see the resemblance. You can mm-hmm. see the similarities, but yeah, right. it, it's much smaller, not as grand. That's right. You know, it's kind of a uh, like the little the little sibling mm-hmm. of right. the you know of the big house,
2: the so. Bradley House. Has considerable resemblance to probably one of Wright's most famous houses in Chicago, the Roby House up in Hyde Park. Okay, and if you look at that, you can say, "Yeah, I see that difference." The same wide arches and bands of of uh, leaded glass and you know open flow through the building and so forth. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we yeah, we've okay. kind of temporarily exhausted the t- topic of Bradley Bradley House and digressed in a few places. But, yeah. Uh, and uh, you
1: know, we're uh we're gonna make this one actually uh, you know, we're gonna make sure it gets out and, and published and not lose it on a right. on a hard drive. Right. So
2: Yeah, note to hard drive, stay no, healthy. Yeah, exactly.
1: Please, please stay healthy. Um and then, Veronica, uh, before we close out, too, let's let's uh, plug those events once again, just because obviously we want people to, you know, engage in the the wonderful Kankakee County Museum.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, so Saturday, September 25th, we have the French, Canadian and Belgian immigration. Um, and that's a lecture that will be given by Norma Meyer, our genealogist and our volunteer, Andrew Mann. Um, oh, it was man. It's okay. Man. You it <laughs> really easy. I don't know of it. He's a young man. And then we have started yoga on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. at the Stone Barn. So
1: wonderful. Yes. And that's something um, I know we've probably talked about in previous episodes with the museum, but if you do have, you know, uh, French Canadian heritage or, or Bel- uh, Belgium, uh, or Bel- belgian right belgian yes. belgian mm-hmm. heritage um uh, she is also uh is is someone you can go yes, see she's at available the,
0: on saturdays at the french heritage museum yeah from 14,
1: yep. yeah so you can go In see general. her and, and see if you can find out you know where where you stem from a little bit more about your family so yes. there's there's so many you know, like I know with my family, it's not just the Lemours, it's also the Blanchettes, the Giroux, the like all these other French Canadian mm-hmm. families in the mix and mess of things. So and I know there's so many like that and mm-hmm. in, in families like that in the county. So mm-hmm. um, and uh, Kankakee County Museum dot com <clears throat> for everything, Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, anything else? No, that's month. it. All right. Well, Jack, thank you so much once again for for being on, and we can uh, make this happen again and make sure it's not our, you know, not a repeat, a rerun. You know. So well, thank you so much. Actually, <laughs> it's been very
2: enjoyable, again. and I uh, would be happy to come back if you will have me again. Yeah, of course, absolutely.
1: Well, that uh, concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. You can uh, catch up on previous episodes of this podcast at. Uh, kankiki-podcast.com you can also sign up for our mailing list there uh, find out how you can become a sponsor and uh, so many other things uh, also follow us on social media facebook twitter and instagram as all at Podcast as well and our theme song is by lupe carroll new episodes uh by the way do drop every single monday so we'll talk to you next week people
0: tend to